G'day and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast coming to you from Melbourne, Australia broadcast from the studios of 3CR your only radio left my name is Susanna Duffy in this episode of Left After Breakfast we look at the machinations of Murdoch the war on Medicare, sugary drinks and truth in advertising. But first of all, I want to congratulate Sam Pang for landing the MC role in the Logies Awards night. I don't care about the Logies, but I do care about Sam, former 3CR presenter. Good on you, Sam. And for those of you who've noticed that Elon Musk is going to rebrand Twitter as X, you might be interested to learn that this could be legally complicated for Musk. After all, Meta and Microsoft already have intellectual copyright to that same letter X. Of course, I won't be weeping if Musk gets into trouble. (laughs) I'll be more laughing. You know... Sometimes looking at the news, it can just crush my spirit. But there's one thing that lifts the world news from the pits of despair. And that story is from the animal world. For example, zookeepers at the Columbus Zoo in Ohio have been caring for a western lowland gorilla named Sully. Now, Sully has lived at the zoo with her mother and fellow troop members since 2019, and the zoo believed that she was male. They realised their mistake last week when Sully gave birth to a healthy little gorilla. You'll be pleased to know that the mother and daughter gorilla are doing well. On to the mystery lion. Just near Berlin, A massive search operation involving 220 police officers, drones, sniffer dogs, infrared cameras and specialist wildlife officers was underway for two and a half days on the track of a lion. This mystery lion had been spotted and videoed in the woods around Brandenburg. Loud roaring had been heard. Nearby residents locked themselves, their children and their pets indoors, as you would. But all's well, the lion has been identified. It's a wild boar, and the roaring was the work of a couple of teenagers having fun with the Bluetooth speaker. Prosthetic devices have made major advances in recent years, greatly improving mobility for many people. But these advances aren't just for people. Dogs and cats have had a new lease on life. Additionally, there's a unique prosthetic for an animal much larger, an elephant. This is Chuk, an 11-year-old Asian elephant, who sadly lost his foot after it was ensnared in a poacher's trap when he was only young. Unfortunately, poaching is still a significant problem around the world, especially for elephants. With the severe damage to his foot, it had to be amputated. 
In the past, that might have spelled the end for that elephant. Without the ability to walk, he wouldn't be able to forage for food and do all the other things necessary for survival. However, that wasn't the end for Chuk. The Wildlife Alliance, a conservation organisation in Cambodia, rescued him and fitted him with the 21 kilogram prosthetic foot. It's made of recycled car tyres and strapping from tow trucks. It also features foam for comfort. Thanks to $1,500 in yearly funding from the Paradise Wildlife Park in the United Kingdom, Chuk receives a new prosthetic foot every six months. This enables him to walk and to swim. He can even run at a pretty brisk pace without any issues. Chuk now lives in the Wildlife Alliance Park in Cambodia with attentive care from all the keepers. Now that to me is good news. Just a little bit of history to go on this program and it's about Frank Sinatra. A good fun story. Sinatra is a famous singer and a pig. During a 1974 tour of Australia, he complained about the media trying to interview him or take his photograph, especially female members of the media. He said of them, The broads who work in the press are the hookers of the press. I might give them a buck and a half, I'm not sure. This didn't go down too well. First off, members of the Australian Theatrical and Amusement Employees Association worked in lighting, staging and in musicians for his tour and they announced that they would strike until they got an apology. There was no apology. Sinatra demanded an apology for himself and if he didn't get one, he would leave the country within the hour. The Transport Workers Union jumped in and they refused to fuel any jet, private or commercial, that Sinatra attempted to fly on. Sinatra soon ended up with a total black ban on himself. His second show in Melbourne had no musicians, no stage workers, no drivers and no room service. Poor chap. A peace of sorts was negotiated by Bob Hawke, president of the ACTU. I'm sorry that he did, actually. But who really cares about Frank Sinatra? And possibly, who really cares about Bob Hawke? They were different times then. 3CR When I tried to stop smoking, remember smoking? I tried a number of things, but what really stopped my habit was reading a book called The Smoking Business. It's a compelling book and shows how, starting in the early 1950s, the tobacco industry managed to substantially blunt attacks on itself while continuing to reap vast profits from addicted consumers. The tobacco industry influenced 
scientific discovery and debate. When they could no longer influence science, the manufacturers of tobacco products fought very hard not to have health warnings on such products. They're not the only ones. In the 1960s, the sugar industry influenced scientific discussion and debate. Here in Australia, the nation's doctors, the Australian Council of Social Services and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners are calling for the introduction of a tax on sugar-sweetened drinks. The World Health Organization says that taxing sugary drinks can help in saving lives. Now, these sugary drinks are making us fat and sick, but those sugary drinks make billions in profit for the drink companies. Have you ever wondered how a few companies, well, let's use Coca-Cola as an example, how they created multi-billion dollar empires by marketing flavoured sugar water? Just like Big Tobacco, Big Soda endeavours to protect sales and profits at the expense of public health. Coca-Cola and the other sugary drink companies borrowed heavily from the Big Tobacco playbook. The first thing Big Soda did was to attack the science, just like the cigarette industry did, and what the producer of any unhealthful product does. You cast doubt on the science, and then you pay for your own science. And while you're doing that, of course, you advertise. And your advertising is aimed at deflecting attention from the harm that your product is causing to health. In the case of these sugary drinks, the advertising is aimed at physical activity and hydration. You need to drink, so drink our product. Okay, you can't stop these companies advertising, and you can't really stop people drinking sugary sweet drinks if that's what they want to do. So what we need is a tax on these sugary drinks so that the peddling of junk food, particularly to children, is at least slowed down. And these drinks need a health warning on them. There are now 50 countries with a tax on sugar-sweetened drinks, but not Australia. In Mexico, the tax which is introduced in 2016 led to a 37% reduction in soft drink sales. Why can't we have a tax here? How much money is being spent on public health now and, of course, in the future as a result of all this drinking of sugar? And while I'm on the subject of sugar, I should also mention dental care. Why is dental care excluded from Medicare? Back in 1974, when Medibank was formed, it's now called Medicare, the Whitlam government faced a hell of a political opposition from, guess who? Dentists. And the architects of Medibank broke down and they did not add dental care to our overall health care. Now, with increased wealth and the proven results of Medicare, it's time to add dental care to that mix. By doing that, 
we can address the disparities in healthcare coverage and ensure better overall health outcomes for all citizens. What we do have is a $12 billion subsidy for private health insurance. Oh, why? Once you start to look at private health insurers, my words, you find yourself in a big black pit. Medicare was created in the first place because of the abject failure of private health insurance, or as it was called, voluntary health insurance. And now history is repeating itself. Medicare is seriously threatened by these private health insurers. Australia has 34 private health insurers who offer 40,000 variations of policies and it's a bloody awful mess and we've been down this path before. Government subsidies for private health insurance is rapidly taking us back to the pre-Whitlam, pre-Medicare era. Why are we propping up private health insurers? An ideological feature that John Howard foisted on us in 1999. The whole private health insurance is propped up, underwritten through an enormous government subsidy, $12 billion a year. The motor industry never got anything remotely like that subsidy. Let's be sensible. Let's stop subsidising this private health insurance industry. That subsidy should be abolished and some of the money saved should be spent to include dental care as part of Medicare at a cost estimated to be about $6 billion a year. If people want some private health insurance, fine, that's their right. Go for it, mate. But why should taxpayers subsidise a private health insurance industry to undermine, in fact corrupt, a universal system that's available to all? 3CR Peter Dutton is now saying that the Bunnings support for the Yes campaign will increase the prices in the Bunnings stores. This is, of course, a lie. Is that surprising? It's not surprising that Peter Dutton will lie. What's surprising is that it's perfectly legal to spread misinformation and disinformation and indeed to tell outright lies about the coming referendum to the voice in Parliament. Just like it's legal to tell lies in federal election campaigns, there's no law against it. While Australia has laws banning businesses from engaging in deceptive and misleading advertising about their products and services, there are no equivalent federal laws that apply to politics. There's one tiny exception to the current ability to mislead voters about the referendum. It is unlawful to mislead voters about how to fill in the referendum ballot form. For example, you would be breaking the law if your advertisement said people had to tick a box on the ballot form, when in fact you have to write yes or no. 
The federal parliament passed up an opportunity to ban misinformation and disinformation during the referendum campaign. In January, the Parliament's Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters rejected calls to do this. The committee said the forthcoming referendum is not the right time to establish a truth in political advertising regime. However, the same committee recommended in June that Australia adopt federal truth in political advertising laws that would apply to all future federal elections and referendums. How do truth in political advertising laws operate? There are some in South Australia, and they've been in operation since 1985, enacted under Labor Premier John Bannon. Those laws work by making it unlawful for political advertisers to make purported statements of fact that are misleading to a material extent. Importantly, those laws don't seek to stop people expressing their opinions, even the most silly and uninformed opinions. The key distinction here is between purported statements of fact and opinions. For example, in 1995, the South Australian Supreme Court heard a case about an election ad claiming that the state government had said that schools with fewer than 300 students would be subject to closure. That ad was found to contravene the law. The government had never said that. So that statement was a purported statement of fact and it was misleading. By contrast, in a 2010 case, the South Australian Supreme Court rejected an argument that a leaflet accusing a politician of being soft on crime breached the law. That statement was simply an opinion. Most cases in South Australia don't end up in a court. The law allows the Electoral Commission to request that misleading advertisements be taken down and a retraction issued. Do these laws actually work? The most important goal of truth in political advertising laws is to improve political practice and to promote a better political culture. That is, the goal is prevention of misinformation and disinformation rather than punishment of it. So it's a great shame that the federal parliament decided to allow misinformation and disinformation during the referendum campaign. Ego, position, power and privilege have nothing to do with the voice. The voice has to do with Australian citizens and how best we can be inclusive and how we move forward. Oh, the voice, the voice, the voice. You know, of course, that Murdoch has launched a Sky Channel running 24-7 and devoted entirely to spreading no to the voice campaign. You won't find it surprising that Murdoch is doing this. You won't be surprised that Murdoch is spending mega millions to stopping the implementation of the voice to Parliament. Though I do suppose you wonder why he bothers doing this. The answer for Murdoch, of course, is, as always, money. And there's a lot of money riding on this no vote. I wonder, as must you, just who it is who hopes to gain by the no vote. Murdoch and those shady people who want the no vote have been bashing the message that if the yes vote is successful, then the Australian Parliament will be rendered powerless. 
Well, that's a lie. And I'm quite convinced that Murdoch would love to see the Australian Parliament powerless. Even more powerless than it is now, because it seems to be unable to stop his lies. And the people behind this no campaign. Who is actually paying for it? But seriously, it's time for a Royal Commission into Murdoch. Well, into media diversity, especially focused on News Corp. Don't forget that the Murdoch media empire succeeded in dividing Americans and it spread anger, hatred, lies and violence. Murdoch's Fox News network convinced millions that Trump's election fraud claims were true. Now, there have been attempts in Australia to replicate this via the Murdoch News Corps media outlets such as the Courier Mail, the Herald Sun, the Daily Telegraph and the Australian, yeah, and many local newspapers purchased by News Corp. Sky News, naturally. Radio stations, not this one, of course. And book publishers. And you can't deny the partisanship of these publishers. In many instances, they operate as a public relations outlet for the Liberal National Parties. So the dominance of News Corp in the Australian media industry really raises concerns about a similar situation happening here as it happened in USA. Rupert Murdoch is not the only billionaire who powerfully shapes Australia's media. The Seven Network, 68% owned by billionaire Kerry Stokes, operates a collection of commercial free-to-air television stations in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, regional Queensland and Perth. They also have a 33% ownership in Sky News. Stokes also owns the West Australian, which is the only major newspaper in West Australia. Got a few conflicts of interest there. Media concentration raises concerns about the diversity of voices and perspectives in our democracy. News Corp's dominant position in the Australian media means that diversity of voices and perspective is significantly limited to those favourable to Murdoch. A Royal Commission would thoroughly investigate and shed light on the extent of undue influence on media practices by billionaire owners, including such issues as editorial independence, accountability and the spread of misinformation. The findings and recommendations from a Royal Commission into Murdoch would pave the way for necessary reforms, including breaking up large media conglomerates and creating regulations that safeguard the public's right to accurate and diverse information. So an Australian Royal Commission into Media Diversity with a focus on News Corp is essential to safeguard our democracy, promote media plurality and restore public trust in the media industry. Australia's media market is the most concentrated out of every democracy in the world. Our politicians have let that happen because they've been too scared to challenge Rupert Murdoch. Any functioning democracy 
and fair society needs strong, independent and diverse news media. A media made up of journalists who investigate fearlessly and report truthfully. But here in Australia, huge swathes of our news media have been bought up by American billionaire Rupert Murdoch and his heir apparent, Lachlan. Their company, News Corp, saturates the market, controlling so much of what the public sees and hear as their news. Any truths that are inconvenient to the Murdoch agenda are silenced. From the nonsensical refusal of the Liberal and National Parties to appropriately act on climate change, to the epidemic of disinformation about vaccination in our communities, the impact of Murdoch's cowboy treatment of our news media is really felt by real people across the country. In place of quality journalism, Murdoch and his inner circle of executives use the News Corp to distort the news to push their political agenda. Tabloid columnists and Sky Television shock jocks stoke fear and division in our communities to get clicks and sales. The Murdochs trade media coverage for political favours distorting our democracy and weakening our voices. For decades, Murdoch has taught politicians that if they stand up against this media monopoly, they will be punished. But if we all work together, we can create the kind of national public pressure that our political leaders can't ignore any longer. We need a Royal Commission into Murdoch. 3CR has nothing to do with Murdoch, Never has and never will. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week. Same time, same place. Until then, it's cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast. And I'll leave you with Tony Bennett. Thanks, Tony, for all the pleasure you gave us over the years and for making singing sound so easy. month of May, sunny skies of blue, clouds have rolled away and the sun peeps through May Express, happiness, joy you may define in a thousand ways, but a case like mine needs a special phrase to reveal. How I feel I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Got the string around my finger What a world, what a life I'm in love I've got a song that I sing I can make the rain go Anytime I move my little finger Lucky me Can't you see I'm in love 
Life is a beautiful thing As long as I hold the string I'd be a silly so and so If I should ever let go Sitting on a rainbow I've got the string around my 